Hello, hello, everybody. Wow. Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. We are at the final episode of 2023, right before we head into 2024. And you are in for a treat because this is always my most highly downloaded episode, my business year in review. I think it's so popular because I really open up about my finances, about what I learned, about what I think I did really bad. I'm kind of naturally an oversharer. I really value transparency. And I just feel like when people are more transparent, it helps us all stop comparing and realize, oh, if she did it and she fixed it, maybe I could do it too. Or we stop beating ourselves up for doing something wrong when we're like, oh, everyone does that. Everyone's winging it. So that's my goal with today's episode is to be open and transparent so that you understand what went behind the scenes, what you didn't see on Instagram, what I didn't share in the podcast or emails. So buckle up, get ready. This is really the episode where I spill the most teas. Quick reminder, if you want to win a one-on-one with me, all you have to do for the very last episode of the year is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Go to my show in my non-expert opinion, scroll down, find the part where it says write a review, write that review, and then send it to info at chelsearife.com or at chelsearife on Instagram. Screenshot this and DM me before you hit submit so that you actually get entered into the giveaway because sometimes Apple takes a really long time to actually set it up and I want to make sure that you can get a chance to win. Okay, okay. I know you're like, Chelsea, let's get to the T. I want you to know at the very end, I'm actually going to share all my numbers so you know how much my business made, what I spent on my business, was I profitable or not. I'm definitely going to share all that. So just like a sneak preview that is going to come at the end. Okay, so the first point might be annoying because I've already made this point before, but I think Many people, including myself, need to invest way more in done-for-you services where they set things up for you instead of learning how to do them yourself. I literally just talked about this like maybe three episodes ago, but I don't think a lot of you realize how many service providers and practitioners are out there that love doing the things you hate, whether that's automation or editing your podcast or graphics for social media. There are people that specialize in it, that are experts that are obsessed with doing it, and you can offload that to them and not only get more time back, but probably make more money because you're offloading it to an expert that's going to get it right the first time instead of you investing in a course or training to learn to do it yourself and doing it like a little bit haphazardly and probably messing things up. This is what I talked about in the other episode is I really hate backend stuff. And even though I know how to set it up, I was wasting so much brain space and honestly energy and money in doing it that it was just causing more problems because I didn't know how to do it right. And I'm like, wait, here's a woman that's obsessed with doing it and actually does this as her full-time job. This is literally like a magic wand to me. Let me just pay her a project fee and boom, she's done and it's set up for like my entire business. Yeah, that's worth the investment. Now, sometimes it can be a bit scary because you're seeing an upfront number one time. So for example, it could be like, I'll set up all your funnels for, I don't know, $2,000. And you're like, whoa, like $2,000. I'm used to investing in $150 readings or like maybe a $500 course. So $2,000 seems way out of my budget. But the way I think of investments like that is they are setting something up once. So it's just done for the rest of the year. So technically, if I really wanted to do some like, I don't know if it's girl math or regular math, that would just be $2,000 divided by 12 and maybe even longer if they're setting this thing up where I don't have to touch it for the rest of my business. For example, once I set up my podcast process where we got the guest flow in place where it's like they book, they fill out a form, the form sends to me, it goes to the Google Drive, like blah, blah, blah. That's one and done. So I never have to waste time and brain space on that ever again. So it is very worth it to invest in done for you services, especially on the things that you hate. Podcasters specifically, I don't like editing and I outsource my editing. I also don't like uploading and like scheduling and all that stuff. So that's something I also outsource. 
So start to take notes of what you really don't like doing and also what you're bad at. And that's where I would recommend you find a done for you provider. Now, let's say there's things that you're like, this is just annoying, but I know I have to do it. That's a different story where, yeah, there's things in my business every day that I'm like, I have to answer that specific email because it's my client and I'm handling the strategy for them. Obviously, I need to be communicating with them. That's not something I would just be outsourcing. But like, I don't know, general email management, that's something a software can do or a VA can do. So really get clear on what your priorities are, what you're bad at, what you really need to spend less time on and get a done for you provider. Okay, number two, you might think this contradicts number one, but I do think you need to learn what's at least going on in your business or the basics of how it works, because you at the end of the day are the CEO, the creative director, the editor in chief, whatever you want to title yourself as chief brunette in charge, like you are the person that runs this business. And I'm still learning this, to be honest. But sometimes I outsource things too much to the point where I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And we didn't really build an SOP or standing operating procedure around this. So now when I'm passing this off, I actually don't even know what to tell this person. This happened quite a bit with VAs that I hired where we would start some projects and then it would end. And then I'd bring someone new on and they're like, wait, what happened here? Like, what what were you doing with this project? Or like, what software did you use? And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know what software we use. I don't know how that got set up. I, I don't even know when we decided that. And to me, that's bad business. And that's not being the best business owner you could be. Now, business is like self-actualization, right? It's a work in progress. You are not going to nail this out the gate. I'm in literally year three of my business and I'm still learning this stuff. If you're in like year one to two and you're like, oh my God, I don't know. I, I need to do all these things. Give yourself grace. Like you will learn as you walk through the fire. I didn't know what I didn't know until I did it. I couldn't tell you on day one that I was going to have a software that automated all these funnels for me, right? Like I didn't know that yet. I was just focused on building an offer and trying to attract clients. I was figuring out my marketing strategy. I was figuring out my payment plans and processors. Like there's things that you just, you don't really need to figure out until you get there. But this is one that I finally figured out by getting there was every time I pass on a project and I don't really know what's going on, not only does it slow everything down, it takes more time out of my schedule that now I'm taking away from the podcast, from my writing, from serving my clients, because I'm trying to tinker and fix all this shit because I don't even know what happened. And then what usually happens is I end up having to pay the person more to figure it out because we never figured out what was going on. So they're now having to do like, a third audit of something that's already been audited because I can't really tell them what's happening. I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be able to say, hey, you're new here. Great. Here's the resources, the training materials. Here's where we left off. Here's where you can pick up. Let me know if you have any questions. We're getting to that point. I hired a new VA. I'm getting better at this. It is a work in progress, like I said, but I am very happy to report This is something I'm prioritizing and I want to understand all the little nuts and bolts that are going on in my business so that I feel very invested in the growth and success of my business. My third point definitely relates to my second point is that you need to learn how to manage people at some level. Now, I don't like managing people at all because I get really overwhelmed because sometimes I feel disorganized at the higher level and I get so nervous that I like just don't want to hire people. I'm like, I'll just handle it myself. If there's anything I've learned in the last three years of business is that handling everything yourself is going to always keep you at like a beginner stage. You really cannot be handling finances, editing, uploading, writing, marketing, like every hat that you wear is sustainable for a little while while you're being scrappy. And then when you start making real money, you're like, okay, I think it's time to invest. Even if it's a one-time project fee of 
$500. I'm going to pay that. And for me, I realized I needed ongoing help. And so I needed people to be on my team that would help me on a monthly basis. This obviously means managing people. Now, I used to be a manager in my corporate job, and I didn't like it to the point where I asked my manager to put me back into a solo contributor role. I felt like I was bad at giving people feedback. I felt like I was bad at status meetings. I think I'm just someone who's always been very independent and done so much on my own and gotten so far on my own that it can be very hard to start managing people and letting go of the reins and being like, okay, I trust this person will get it done the way that I want them to do it. And that's, again, what like training videos are for and meetings and SOPs. I definitely do not think I'm a master at this at all yet, but I have gotten much better at also realizing how I work and explaining this to the people I manage. Like I work best if we communicate through WhatsApp. I don't really like my notion notifications because they get lost in a bunch of things. I work best in sprints. So I want to work on one thing, be done with it, and then move to the next. I don't like working on 12 different projects at a time. This, again, I had to learn by moving through the fire. I didn't know that I worked that way until I actually figured out, wait, every time you juggle 12 projects, none of it gets done. They all fall to the wayside and then you don't make any progress. So this is what I communicate to people now that I work with. And I'm learning how to manage better and check in more and give direction and feedback and be okay with asking for help. I think honestly, managing is like being okay with asking people for help and understanding and trusting that they can get it done if you give them the tools and guidance and resources to do so. I also ask people for feedback. So I will literally say like, if you need something, tell me, don't be afraid to be more direct with me and be like, Chelsea, you said you wanted to accomplish this by this date. That means you have to get us this by this date. Or you said you wanted to be better at getting ahead, but each week we keep falling behind. Like I ask people to tell me that because I just can't, I don't have enough brain space to do all this myself. On top of just having a business, I have a weekly podcast. I have a weekly Substack. I value my friendships and I do things with people during the week. I value my family and I talk to them. I'm not someone that's locked in a, in a desk all day and like constantly working, 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 and then like maybe taking weekends off. My days are so busy with so many different things that the people that I hire, I need them to like kind of handhold me sometimes. And I tell them that. Now, again, this goes back to my point of like getting better at this is understanding how to communicate with them too. So some people might be better by communicating with them on voice notes. Some people might be better if you give them a list of three things to do every single day. And that's something that is constantly a work in progress where you need to communicate, hey, how do you work best? Here's how I work best. How can we meet each other's needs when it comes to communication? And I think that creates a smoother ride for both of you. And I know it's not always easy, but this is like the part of business that when they say entrepreneurship is hard, it's like, yeah, because you have to learn all these skills that you just didn't have before. My fourth one is a question that I actually got from someone who wrote in my question box when I asked what you wanted to know about my business year in review. And someone asked, any tips on financial stability for creative people who don't want to work corporate? My immediate gut response is find high ticket clients that you can get on monthly recurring payment plans. I love monthly recurring revenue. I love payment plans. I love knowing that each month I have a set number to start with. And I, honestly, it's to the point where I don't even really like when people pay in full. There was a woman that I worked with earlier this year and she's like, oh, can I just pay you up front in full? And I was like, I actually don't want that. <laughs> like, I would rather have this high ticket package stretch out over six months so that I know every month, no matter what, I'm not starting at zero because it gives my nervous system a break. It gives me a better chance to forecast what's coming up and what I need to work on. 
So now I can see way ahead of time, like, oh, you're fine. Like for the next three months, you have your living costs covered. You have your business costs covered. You have leftover to pay debt. So we don't really need to go that hard. And this is honestly why I was able to take a break earlier this year. During the month of October, I didn't do like anything client facing. I didn't take any new clients. I didn't do discovery calls. I wasn't doing podcast interviews, like zero communication with people in my business. And that's because I had set up these monthly recurring payment plans and I was fine. Like I could see, I could see back in June that I would be okay in October because I had all these people on monthly recurring payment plans. The piece of this that I want to like underline and highlight is that they were all high ticket. So a lot of these people that were on payment plans were either one-on-one clients where my minimum package is $10,000 or they were my mastermind, which was about $6,000 just for the base of that. So off the bat, just having those two subsets of people that I was working with created a lot of financial stability for me. This is also something I learned maybe two years ago is that when you want to create a bunch of accessible, cheaper offers, you need to be offering them from a place of financial stability. The reason now that I can be so flexible with people's payment plans and so generous with resources when I can be is because I feel very financially stable where I'm like, it's fine. Like, it's OK if this girl needs a six month payment plan for a mid tier offer because that's not going to make or break my finances. The times where I feel like I need to be the most like strict and even scarce is when I don't see the monthly income coming in, when I can't forecast and I'm like, oh, wow, like, you know, in six months, your income takes this wild dip. Those are the times in my business where I'm like, sorry, I can't offer extended payment plans like this has to be what it is. Or I just end up focusing on more high ticket stuff because I'm like, I need to like replenish that income. And then I can't really help people in that like lower to mid tier because I need my survival needs covered. Right. You know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's something that that visual has always stuck with me is like, yeah, are my basic needs met? Are my social needs, et cetera, et cetera. And shout out again to Ramit. I feel like doing his conscious spending plan opened my eyes to where my numbers were going. And then it helped me realize even more where I want my finances to go so that I constantly feel financially stable. So to answer your question in the shortest way yet, find high ticket clients that you can get on monthly recurring payment plans once you have a few of those and you start adjusting to that energetic minimum. Because that's something I think no one really talks about is we all want to make so much money. But what do you do when that money comes in? If you don't know how to hold it or manage it, you will freak out. I've done this so many times. I've talked about this so many times on my podcast, but there was a period where I had all these clients pay in full. I freaked out. I was like, I don't know how to manage this. I'm bad with money. What do I do? I'm not good enough to receive this. Like so many triggers around my money wounds that made me realize you need to learn how to manage your money so that when it comes in, you have a place to put it. You have a place to hold it. You know exactly what's happening, which is what I did earlier this year. I finally got my financial shit together. I have a whole notion sheet that I use. And now I'm excited to plan when this money comes in because I I can plan for now and I can plan for my future, which is like a very new concept. <laughs> a little wild. It took me like 32 years to figure out, but better late than never. This can also help you if you're someone that has inconsistent energy like I do. My energy varies so much based on my environment, where I'm traveling, my workload, obviously stress, all these things contribute to my energy. So if I'm having a month where I'm like, I am so low energy, I cannot be on video, I don't even want to record podcasts, like I just can't do this. I know that I can take that break because I know I have a certain amount of income coming in and I've already saved a certain amount from that income coming in. So this is really beautiful for people that have maybe like 
chronic illness or just don't want to be live launching all the time, you are okay to take breaks when you have that monthly recurring revenue and you can plan ahead. Okay, number five, there's a difference between having someone help you with strategy and planning for strategy yourself in business and a difference between tactical execution. So the way you think of strategy is someone that helps you plan, brainstorm, map out the timeline. What does it look like? What are we going to do? When? With what assets? Where tactical execution is, okay, we need to literally go into Canva and build these graphics. We need to rent a podcast studio and actually sit down and record the episode. We need to hire someone to build that funnel for us. That's the execution piece. To give you an example, I'm someone that helps with strategy. I am helping people map out who they're talking to on their podcast, what they're talking about. If they want to launch on a certain date, I will back out the timeline into when everything needs to be due, at what time, what assets need to be done. But I don't actually edit the videos and cut everything up and do all of that. That's that's execution and that's tactical. So get really good at understanding when you need strategy help and when you need execution help. There was a really good example, and I think the guy's subsack is David Huang. I will try to link it in the show notes, but he talked about this concept called galaxy brain versus gravity brain versus ecosystem brain. And just hearing those words, you can start to visualize what all these things mean. Galaxy brain is like the visionaries that can see all the cosmos and the planets and how they work together and how the sun rotates around the earth and the moon. You know what I mean? Like they have that type of brain where they see so aerial view. It's like, the NASA astronaut looking back at Earth, those are galaxy brains where they're like, I can just see all of this working together. Ecosystem brain is maybe if we're going to use these like astronaut, these arrow examples, ecosystem brain is maybe someone that's like more of a pilot that is down in Earth and they can still see above, but now they're more grounded and like, okay, I know you want to launch a podcast, but let's like really grounded down into is that feasible with your timeline or your lifestyle, right? You want to launch a podcast, but you're also launching a YouTube and you're writing a book and you want to become Reiki certified. This person that's like ecosystem brain will be like, if we want to do that, here's like how we start to build all those things together. Like, let's start pulling up your schedule and really understanding how we're going to back these things out. So they start to give you more of the like practical, logical details and making you really think like, budgets, timelines, etc. Where again, galaxy brain to me is like blue sky thinking like, where are we going to go in five to 10 years? Like, where's this podcast going? Do you want to be on Spotify? Like, how can we get you in touch with people there? Like, that's what galaxy brain is to me, where someone that's more ecosystem brain is like, how can we get you? Like, what are the systems we need to get you there? You need automation, you need a better timeline, etc. Where gravity brain is like the true realist and executionist that's like, the actual person taking these things out for you. So this could be like the editor of your podcast, the videographer, the actual studio manager. Like these are the people that are moving along the needle to get you to where you need to go. So if you don't understand what what pieces are missing in your business, you can end up making a lot of like wrong hires or just bad timing hires that you're like, I don't need this right now. This happened earlier this year for me where there was a point in my business where I was just like, you know what? I've been doing like so much brainstorming and strategy that now it's time to execute the brainstorm and strategy. But I kept talking to all these strategists and I was like, wait, she's amazing. I want to hire her. And I think I could do a VIP day with her and maybe a one-on-one with her. And then there was just a point where it hit me. And I think it may have even been after reading this Galaxy First Gravity Brain article where I'm like, you don't need more strategy. You need to get people to help you to do these things. And that's the thing too, that you need to understand which brain you are. 
I'm definitely more like galaxy ecosystem brain. I'm very galaxy with like my own self where I'm more ecosystem with my clients. I am definitely not gravity brain. That's why it's so hard for me to focus on like administrative tasks and why I need focus mate and accountability and like high pressure situations to get things done. I am not gravity brain girl. And so this is why when I got to that point in my business where I was like, my my God, like we have too much strategy now, like we need to execute. Then I was able to realize, okay, so you need to just hire people to do this for you, right? This is when I needed the VA, the podcast editor, someone to actually bounce things off with and not just like talk to and brainstorm all the time. This is also helpful, by the way, when you're sharing your value to other people. Are you helping them strategize and map out the timelines and do all these things? Or are you someone that's doing the tasks for them and getting them to where they need to go? Now, you could argue that you could be both. And I know there's people that are both. Personally, that doesn't work for me. I don't always love doing both. I like to really lean into what I'm good at and double down on that and be like, I own that I'm really, really good at strategy, really good at visioning with you, and really amazing at breaking down timelines. You can quickly tell me I want to launch on February 1st, and I could immediately in 10 minutes back out a timeline for you based on what you need, what needs to happen, what time, like everything. I can do that. But when it comes to the actual execution, I'm not your girl. That's where I have people on my team or that I can recommend you to that will get that shit done for you. A really cool example that Holisticism shared actually was about Walt Disney and his creative process. He had physical rooms where he had people that were like big visionary creatives. Then he had people that were more like realists and then more of the very like tactical what's actually going to need to happen to get this done. And this is why I think when you understand what you offer to people, it's so much easier to market yourself because it is confusing when you're like, what do you do? Like, wait, you do this and this and this. Like, there's so many people online where I'm like, I, I don't know what you do. Like, do you do copywriting or like career building or do you do auditing? And this is why I think a lot of times we have a hard time marketing ourselves because we don't know like what bucket we fall into. You could have multiple offers where you actually do, are doing all these different things. But for me, I learned I am galaxy slash ecosystem brain and that is how I market myself. And that's the thing I'm good at. And I'm okay with not being all three. This was one of my favorite things about this year was learning about people's creative process so I could understand if that would work for me. I feel like when I was doing mindset coaching, I was invested in so many spiritual coaches that have built businesses that weren't really models that I wanted to build mine around. And that's what I ended up learning how to do. Then I started learning about how like book writers write books or even how podcasters set up their podcasts and record their episodes. And I'm like, I could do that for myself. I just remember there was actually someone recently I had a consult with and I was like, what is your production workflow? Like all the way from idea to when you actually start editing, like walk me through that so we can see if there's any tweaks. And she said, I edit as I go. So as soon as I mess up, I pause, I cut it out and then I keep going. So by the time I'm done recording, my episode is edited. I'm like, that's actually wild because I have been coaching and talked to so many podcasters and I don't know that I've really heard anyone do that. So for me, I was like, that actually might work once in a while when I record these solos. Maybe I just edit as I go so that I don't have to like completely listen back to myself. And that's really cool if you don't like listening back to yourself, right? I'm also in a writing membership where we have writing circles and we share our writing. And one of my biggest complaints was like, I don't know when I'm going to have time to write. Because if you want to be a writer, you write. And I, oh, I listen to all these podcasts about how people do it. There's an amazing one called The Bleeders. I've listened to people's like, I don't know, different ways of like, they do it in the morning, they write at night, they block off 
three hours in the middle of the day. And I was like, what are, like, I don't have this time to block off three hours in the day. I don't know that I do my best in the morning. At nighttime, I'm tired. Like, I was just complaining and complaining. Like, I don't think I'm ever really going to get to write anything meaningful because I just can't find the time. And I started to honestly cast it away as like a pipe dream. Like, maybe one day when you have the time, one day when you have a little bit more help, you'll get to writing. Fast forward, I go on this writing retreat with Kat Marnell, one of my favorite authors. She wrote How to Murder Your Life. And she told me that she only does 500 words a day and actually like doesn't really let herself go over unless she's on a really tight deadline. And she said as soon as she's done, she closes her laptop and she does something else. And she has a rule that she, if she's going to walk away from her 500 words, that she has to work out or clean her house. And those are the only two options if she's not going to write. And I don't know why something clicked with that where I was like, wait, if this best-selling New York Times author, who still people are buying this book, who also wrote a second book that was an Audible original, wasn't really a book, Audible original, and is now writing a third book, is telling me that she only writes 500 words a day, and this is her process, and she just knocks it out and gets it done. She really compared it to like a workout, like you can do anything for 30 minutes. That clicked with me. It's kind of like those times where your parents have always said like, eat healthy and work out, and you're like, oh, okay, we got it. But then, I don't know, a health coach comes along and they're like, drink more water and try to walk 500 steps a day or whatever, not 500, 5,000. And you're like, that lands with me. That's what happened with Kat Marnell. When she explained her process, I'm telling you something clicked. And I was like, I got it. I am going to do that. I'm going to write 500 words. I figured out it doesn't even take me that long. And now it's actually moved up to where I can write almost 750 words in 25 minutes or less. That is crazy, you guys. In June, I'm telling you, I was like practically crying that I couldn't even write 250 words a day to now for probably the last two months being able to write 750 words in less than 30 minutes. I feel like truly the only way I learned about that was because I started learning about all these people's creative processes. The next point I have is that it's okay to be low key and do more introverted and perhaps even lazy styles of marketing. I have said this on the podcast 5,000 times, but I get most of my clients from people hearing me on other podcasts, listening to this podcast, or seeing me in a newsletter or guest speaking and guest teaching. So I put a lot of my eggs in those baskets because I have the data that it works. Over and over again, I see when people sign up with me, it's one of those reasons. So why would I all of a sudden take like, I don't know, 20% of my marketing budget and then dump it into Instagram and be like, let's go hard on Instagram. No, I should be putting more resources into being a guest, elevating my podcast, being on more newsletters, more collabs. That's something that, to be honest, it's hard when, when Instagram and TikTok and these short form platforms push you to constantly post. I know how annoying that is. But think about long-form content and long-term relationship building. You usually get that by speaking and connecting with people for more than 30 minutes. So that's why I think the strategies I use convert so well because they are really long-form and like deeper relationship building, right? This podcast is usually an hour. When I speak on someone else's podcast, it's usually an hour. In a newsletter, someone actually opted in to sign up. So if I'm buying a classified ad, they wanted to be on that newsletter. So it doesn't feel like, I don't know, what short-form content always feels like, Let's post and see what happens. And like, hopefully it does well where all these other strategies I use, I'm like, I feel like they're very bottom of the funnel, very direct and very long form, which for me, I love doing. Like right now I'm in this podcast studio and I booked this ahead of time and it's because I have my blowout done. I want to batch record while I have the resources. I'm not going to do this every day. Like I'm going to knock this out and try to not have to do another video for like at least a month. So for me, these styles of marketing became really important. 
And I realized too, like, I don't need to always show my face. I can use B-roll. You could honestly use like a stage name or a pen name, right? Like use a screen name like we did back in the AIM days. You can do audio without video. For literally six years, I've run this podcast and barely done video elements. Like truly in the last three months, I've added a little bit more video to it. But for a very long time, it was just audio and it was fine. It's just now we're seeing more videos. So you think you have to do video. And I want to remind you, you don't have to do that. There's this hilarious creator on Instagram and TikTok. It's Cody.Taurus, but his dog is like the star of the show. And he did this whole post where he opened up and he was like, guys, thanks so much. We just hit 1 million on TikTok. And I never thought I'd see this day because I'm very introverted and I love creating videos. And I never knew how I was going to create and not show my face. So I wanted to use my dog as a way to like work on my video skills and improve. And now they're viral. They're like, he's like a dog influencer. They're the funniest videos. It's like my favorite account on Instagram. And I think he's a perfect example of someone who blew up on TikTok and is a very active content creator, but isn't the star of the show. His dog is. So think of creative ways. You can always do things like that. I also think if you're into like comedy, you could create different characters. I used to do this a lot. I had this character named like Sophia, the self-centered coach, where she would just constantly talk about herself on podcasts and not know how to interview. And that to me was like a fun way to not have to like look at the camera and be like, here's five tips to interview. It was like me poking fun at people that don't know how to interview. And then I could guide them to go buy, buy my interviewing class. So there are fun ways I think you can get around these things. And the last one kind of relates to this one is like, you really do not need to be on Instagram to be successful. My Instagram this entire year was basically focused on my travels. I would do a little recap here and there. I would post fun videos or photos or reels of my travels. It had actually like nothing to do with my podcast business or even my podcast sometimes. Yet I had my best year in business ever. The biggest client I signed was because I DM'd him and I said, I really think you should have a podcast. You have incredible content. This would be so easy to parlay into a podcast format. Boom, signed a year-long contract with him. And then my second biggest client came because this client shouted me out. And then all my other clients came because they heard me on other podcasts or guest teaching. So I created financial success from honestly, like maybe doing 5% of my marketing on Instagram. I also barely use TikTok. I think I posted like two TikTok videos this year and they were just random. Like, to be honest, I have zero TikTok strategy. So no social media is really happening. It's just not a very high priority for me. I do meet a lot of amazing people though. And I DM with a lot of people on Instagram. So lately I've been putting like a little bit more effort, especially with the podcast and creating video elements like this and getting more active and sharing on there. But I still don't make it my main platform and you don't have to either. Okay, let's wrap up with the numbers. I have my Stripe account literally right in front of me. So in 2022, my income, which by the way, just means sales, was $73,127. That was just sales. And then I had spent so much on my business that I actually, meaning I spent over $70,000 in like resources and consulting and workshop, blah, 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 that I spent so many business investments that I wasn't profitable in 2022. 2023, drum roll, please. My total sales right now are $121,000. So I made almost... I think, what is that? Almost $50,000 more than last year. And my expenses as of right now are probably going to be like $80,000, which means I am profitable and my net income is like $40,000. So I I love sharing this stuff because I don't even think that people like break these things down. When I say the $120,000, like 
That's also taking away Stripe fees. So if I didn't have Stripe fees, it might be like, honestly, 125000 And I could sell more, by the way. I'm only in the beginning of December. I could sign like 10 more contracts and maybe this would boost. But as of recording December 8th, that's how much money I made in sales. And again, my business expenses are going to be around 80000 which means I'm profiting like 40000 This is a huge win for me. I'm profitable. I made way more money in the last year. I didn't have to live launch all the time. I got to travel to all these different countries. I met incredible people. I got to date. I worked on my health. To me, this is an amazing year. So I hope this helps you. I know that financially, I felt very lucky this year because of the payment plans I set up and the caliber of clients that I signed was really different and like more higher tier. And that's what I wanted to focus on in 2023. 2024, I definitely want to get back into serving more people and do more workshops, more accessible offers, more masterclasses, and maybe even start like a low tier membership. So that's what's coming up in 2024. This is all not set in stone yet, but you can also expect way more out of content creation from me. I am doubling down on the podcast. I am doubling down on my writing and my Substack. So if you want to follow along my journey, head to my Substack at Slight Turbulence and support this podcast in my non-expert opinion. I am putting a lot, a lot, a lot of resources into both of those things. And I hope that you'll support me as I really transition into more creating content and writing and podcasting versus just consulting and coaching. So buckle up. You'll come along the ride with me. I know you're going to want to know all the nitty gritty details of what it's like to pivot and transition. And that's why I do this podcast. I'm just so excited to be able to share this process with you. All right, that was it. Short but sweet. If you want me to do a part two and break down anything further, let me know. I'm happy to do a bonus. But the biggest gift you could give me this holiday season is leaving a written review on Apple Podcasts. Go to my show in my non-expert opinion. Scroll down to the part where it says write a review. Write your review, screenshot it, send it to at Chelsea Ripe on Instagram or info at ChelseaRipe.com and you'll be entered into the pool to win a one-on-one session with me. So if that's on your holiday wish list, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe and share this episode in your newsletter, in your group chat, on your Instagram stories. I love seeing the shout outs. The reviews help so much, not only with my motivation, but also in getting this show in front of more people and locking in really incredible guests and being able to put more resources into this podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Here we are. Ring the New Year bells. We're wrapping up 2023, heading into 2024. I think my year of 2024 is spaciousness. So stay tuned. We will see how spacious 2024 is. All right. Thank you so much for listening this year. It has literally been my biggest pleasure and greatest honor to do this podcast. And I appreciate each and every single one of you. All right. I will see you next year.